looking through nervous eyes. So. <laughs> You're not nervous. So, I think some of you guys started praying for me the first week, and less of you prayed the second week, and this week you forgot to pray for me. Ah. So I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, don't be nervous. It's good. All right. So today uh, we are we will probably talk a little bit about sex, and so we uh, if you have a child in here, they should be in a kids group if they're you know up to thirteen or so. So um, we won't talk about it a whole lot, but it should be a healthy conversation, and uh, we think that they probably should be ready for that. Okay, so that if nothing if you weren't nervous, now you are. <laughs> Got that knocked out. Good deal. All right. So as you know, we're talking about marriage. We've been talking about marriage for the last couple of weeks. So the first week we talked about um, ever after and why we get married in the first place. And then uh, last week we talked about time and is your marriage worth the time that it's going to take. And uh, so today we're going we're gonna to move on and talk a little bit more about marriage and, and a, a little bit, I think, an exciting uh, subject. And um, Okay, I just want to leave. see you from down the single. Don't leave me. You're doing a great okay. job. Um, so we all we all know that marriage relationships, just like any relationship, uh, tends to go through some difficult times from time to time, right? That's nope, something nope, we can nope. agree on. No problems and, in here, right? Yeah. Um, actually, in surveys or in a, a study where um, newlyweds were surveyed, people that had been married six months or less. Um, 50% of them admitted to having serious marital conflict. And, and we're talking the first six months of marriage. So um, a lot of people think, well, uh, we'll live together first, and that'll help that transition go better, and that'll be good for our marriage. And uh, studies have proven that that is not true either. Um, cohabitation, living together before you're married, um, increases your um, divorce um, risk by as much as 40%. So um, that is not a good way to go. Um, so we know that in marriages, in life, we all change. People change. And so if, you, if somebody says, don't change me, um, they're, just, they're just ignoring a fact of life because we all change. And um, when you um, we think the marriage vows should have something to say about change. Like, yeah, like will I agree you, to change. Yeah, will you agree to change? Or I'll and, stick um, around while you change. Right, the question should not be, you know, can I change him? Right. But, but can I hang out while he is being changed? Right. And will he stick with me while I'm being changed? Because right. we are all changing. You're not going to be the same person. And, um, so, and it's dishonest and manipulative to go into marriage thinking I'm going to change him or I'm going to change her because that is not uh, healthy. That's right. How many of you guys like get married and go, I can't wait till she fixes me? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know where that came from, but there it is. So, uh, you know, obviously there are a lot of things that the world says are a way to do marriage and they don't work. And, uh, and so God's way isn't man's way. We've got to keep that in mind. And we want more for marriages than just staying together. Than, we want more for marriages than just not divorce, okay? Because there's a spirit of divorce. We've talked about this before, but I'd kind of like to just kind of pry at that for a second. There are a lot of couples that are together, but they are under a spirit of divorce. They, they haven't gotten an actual divorce. They're still living together, but they've lost intimacy. They're, not, they're unable or maybe even unwilling because of trust issues to actually connect with each other. There's a loss of kindness or deference toward each other. Sometimes, you know, you stop thinking the person you married is as great as they were when you you married him, right? We, we kind of begin to, 
you know, demonize them a bit and think that they're awful and, you know, we're the ones that are the saint in the relationship. And so when your relationship gets there, I put that under the spirit of divorce. And then one of the things I hate to see more than anything that's really obvious is I call them the passive-aggressive snits, little fights, you know, where you're not really fighting, but you're always making those sideways comments at each other. Well, you always do that, or you never do that, or there's those those jokes that I, I just, they're not good signs. They're not healthy. And so, uh, so I call that the spirit of divorce. And uh, so I, we want to encourage that. That's part of the reason we're doing this, this series is so we can help marriages be great and be really, really good. And I don't want you to settle for a, a lousy marriage or a lousy relationship. I mean, just, I just don't think it's a right thing to do. I think it dishonors God to do that. And, but I will say this, any marriage has a price tag on it. Okay? Any marriage. A bad marriage has a price tag, and a good marriage has a price tag. They both have a price. And, and so a bad marriage price tag is walking on eggshells. It's selfishness. It's unforgiveness. It's unspoken expectations. It's anger. A good marriage price tag is patience, understanding, comprehension, listening, openness. Those are the prices you'll pay for either one. Now, it's hard to get started working toward a good marriage. It's hard to learn forgiveness and all those kind of things. But I'll tell you what, when you get to a place in your life and in your marriage where you can actually resolve things and you can like talk and you can be you without walking on eggshells and, and resolve the things that are in your cart, then you can have a great place in your marriage. You can, you can really, for believe it or not, you can have a great relationship. Very true. So um, your marriage, Michael touched on this a little bit last week. We want to mention it again because it's so important. Your marriage is not a product of your holidays, but of your everydays. You cannot build a great marriage on the, except, on the exceptions, but on the consistencies. What do you consistently do together? And uh, so, you know, it's great to have those escapes and their, those getaways, but what are you doing on a day-to-day basis that is building and investing in your marriage? Um, let's think about this. Why did Jesus attend the wedding at Cana? Um, there are a lot of theological reasons why we could explore why he attended that wedding. You want me to do that for a few minutes? Sure, or? go ahead. Why no. don't you do that? Okay. <laughs> I thought he was really going to do nah, it. But. A- so, but we think also Jesus was there. He was attending as a friend of the family to celebrate and to um, endorse marriage, to say this is a good thing. It's worthy uh, of priority, of, of the time of of Jesus. It was worthy of his time to go and attend this wedding and celebrate with this family. So, um, so it was a, I, we just feel like a kind of a, um, God's oh, affirmation. Yeah. Like, yeah. An like affirmation. God says this is important. Right. Yeah. Is that, is that a yeah. good way to say it? Yeah, that's good. So, <laughs> so we, what we, how we've come to look at marriage is this, when God comes to you in your marriage ceremony, and we'll talk about that in a second. First, before we talk about the practical applications, we're going to give just a biblical foundation for God's perspective on your marriage. But when God calls you one, you come together and you make a vow together, then what he's doing is, the way we look at it is he's basically setting up an investment account in your life where you start investing in each other. And of course, that investment is love and it's kindness and all those kinds of things. And so that's really what a marriage is. Some days you're investing and hopefully few days you're withdrawing. You're having your grumpy day. You get, no, anyone else have grumpy days? Any, no, I'm the only one. Okay, couple, couple. Thank you for being honest. I appreciate it. All the other liars in the room. Anyway, um, anyway. 
Some days you, you, you need your partner to be patient with you and to give to you because you're not in a good place, okay? And, and, but there, that needs to be like the few, a few days. Most of the time, we need to be what Christy and I have come to call pouring in to our marriage. Because God wants more for your marriage than just a good friend, than just a safe sex partner, than, than just convenience and someone to live with and help pay the bills. He, want, he wants marriage to be deeper than that. And, and if I could throw this out there, one of the, we live in a world that has made marriage really shallow. I, I, they just, it's not deep in our culture anymore. And I think it, we've paid a, a horrendous price for that. I, first of all, in a shallow marriage, I, I just think the costs are brutal. There's isol- we end up with rejection and isolation and mistrust because we can't ever really be open with each other and we can't ever really be value each other. And we live in a world where vows aren't honored anymore, and so we'll talk about in a minute what the importance of a vow is in a marriage. I think we will. Anyway, I can't, I can't remember. Save me. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So we're going to talk about pouring in. So uh, first of all, what does God say about your marriage? Let's look at Malachi 2, 14 through 16. It says, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. So first of all, you're in this together. And um, secondly, uh, God was there when you made your vows. God made you one. You, it's not his life and her life. It's our life. Uh, Matthew 19, 5 through 6 says, The two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So you're not trying to become one. You are one. God made you one. So, I'm sorry, I lost my question. There we go. Oh, it's your turn. So. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> you're great. You're great. So, um, God has some counsel embedded in Malachi. Some, uh, some wisdom, I guess you'd say, where he says to us to um, guard your heart. He says, so, so don't didn't the Lord make you one with your wife and your body and spirit, you're his? And what does he want? He wants godly children. So guard your heart, remain loyal to the wife of your youth. And then he comes back again at verse 16 and says, so guard your heart. So it's a sandwich. Guard your heart, remain loyal, guard your heart. Think about that for a second. Now, there's another passage we're pretty familiar with in Proverbs 4. 23 that says guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life that's the nlt but some translations translate that that out of it flow the springs of life now i'm i spent about 10 years in missouri or i always called it misery for short but that's a long story and uh there's a beautiful place there outside of van buren called big springs that feeds the current river and any of you old country artist fans will remember i'll never swim current river where i don't know where that came from but anyway there it was Anyway, Big Springs is an awesome place. It's beautiful, it's protected, and you can go there and you can look at it in this crystal clear, cool, huge spring just flows out of the ground, out of those Ozark Mountains, and feeds the current river. It's beautiful. But if you muddy that spring, where's the, where's the muddy water going? Well, it's going into the current river. If you poison it, if you put a toxin in it, whatever happens in the spring 
goes downstream. It's the same way with our heart. You are two hearts that God has made one. You're two springs. And so God says to both of us, husbands and wife, to the one that he made us, he says, guard your heart. Guard the spring. Protect it. This is critical. You don't, you don't guard your garbage. You don't, you don't guard stuff you're going to get rid of that's not important. But this is something God says twice. Guard your heart. Remain loyal. Guard your heart. This is how God instructs us to take care of these things. Our heart is critically important. It's the spring from which our whole life flows. And we are two lives flowing into one because God merged those streams with us. Also, you need to be honest, and Michael's going to talk about this in a couple weeks, your heart is under constant attack. It's never going to stop. There are no easy days when it comes to the assault on your heart. And so we need to, as married couples, we need to respect that. I I know we talked last week about busyness, and if you were like we, we had one of the roughest busy weeks we've ever expected because we talked about it, you know. That's That's part of the assault. And so keep that in mind. God says to guard your heart. All right, so another thing that God says about your marriage is your marriage is intended to last a lifetime. And in that lifetime, it's intended to be a blessing. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says, Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. So that word always sounds pretty permanent. And you made a vow to make it last forever. Right? God designed marriage to take place within the safety of a vow. And why is that? Because in the safety of a vow, you have the ability to be, to be vulnerable, to really um, uh, share that intimacy. There, it's a safety net. That vow is the safety net for those two things, vulnerability and intimacy. It's the safety net that says, never rejected. I will never reject you. I will get to know you. I will love you. And I will choose to love you no matter what I find. So that's why we, the vow is there. It sheds, this sheds light on a lot of uh, the weakness of a lot of marriages um, or a lot of relationships is they don't have that commitment. That vow doesn't really mean what it's supposed to mean. And so there's no true vulnerability or um, true um, openness. A lot of folks uh, think today that you can just start a relationship and bring the vow in later. The, the problem with that is that there is no real relationship outside the vow because the vow is what gives you the safety to be who you need to be, who you really are in the relationship. Until you have that safety, you're always going to wear a mask, even with each other. Yeah, the mask cracks, and that's when those fights really bubble to the surface. But man, when you have a vow that says, I love you and I ain't leaving, no matter what I find, that's, that's a powerful place for relationship to take place. Does that make sense to you? You guys there? So good. So, so we're in this together. Also, we kind of owe it to each other. Now, I don't want you to take this wrong and uh, take this the wrong direction, but when we got married, when we made a vow, we basically indebted ourselves to each other. Let me give you a passage out of 1 Corinthians 7, 2, and I'm going to read it out of the New King James because it uses a word there that I think really captures the text a little better than most other translations. Paul writes, he says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. That's good. Only one apiece. There you go. Gets good. 
Verse 3, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And that's the word I wanted you to see. Render to her the affection due her, and likewise the wife to her husband. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This word here, affection, as it's translated in the New King James, and uh, benevolence in one translation, duty in another translation. That's why I didn't use those translations. I wanted to, to you to see that God, when we make a vow to each other, we're vowing to be nice to each other, to be kind, to, to give each other the affection. We're, we're vowing to be affectionate with each other. A lot of times we think in a marriage that love is the feeling we get out of it, okay? But I would suggest that it's not. Love is the sacrifice you pour into it. The feelings of love that come out of it are the interest on the love you pour in. Does that make sense? Does that kind of help you wrap where we get the idea of pouring in? And so we've made a vow. We've made a vow to work really hard on our marriage. And we've said this a few times throughout the series. You need to make, that's the most important relationship in your life. Your kids need to see that you love each other. And I personally think it should be filled with all kinds of displays of public affection. Ooh, that's what, Ka- that's what Cayman says. Ooh. Ooh <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I, didn't, I didn't miss you there. I'm like, really? I, just, I guess we need to stop and talk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, that's Sorry. right. That's good. Yeah. All right. But I, I think that's important. And that kind of leads into the next thing. I mean, we made a vow to work very hard on our marriage. We also made a vow to have a passionate marriage. And if, you're, if your passion in your marriage is reduced to duty, then you have problems. And it's, if it's uh, like missing altogether, then you really have problems. Um, a, a, rec- or a, a study done 10 years ago uh, said that um, about 2% of marriages are sexless. And a more recent study put that number up to 15%. That's about one out of every six marriages that are considered sexless. And that is uh, where there's six months or longer between encounters. And uh, there's a lot of reasons that this might be the case. Um, uh, Sexual addiction, withholding intimacy from each other, um, having a past of sexual abuse, depression, menopause. There's lots of reasons why this might be the case, but it's not a good thing. And um, I, I think most of us would agree, we know that our enemy, the devil, works really hard to get us to be um, sexually active before marriage. But do we realize that he works just as hard to keep us from being sexually active in our marriage? It's true. Ouch. That's, yeah. that's scary thoughts. Um, a healthy sex life in your marriage is a, is a physical expression of the connection, the emotional, the spiritual, the relational connection. A lot of people try to use sex as a connection, but it's best when it's an expression of the connection that's already there in the relationship. We should do a whole series on passion in marriage just because that would be fun, and we could leave the kids at home. <laughs> so... Passion in marriage, and also we, we vowed to have a considerate marriage. And so the Bible says this in 1 Peter 3, 7. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should 
so your prayers will not be hindered. So uh, one of my favorite marriage speakers is a guy named Mark Gungor, and uh, he has a, a series called Laugh Your Way to a Happy Marriage, and it's a pretty good series based a lot on the work of John Gray. But in that series, he talks about how that we have different scoreboards in our households. And so uh, I got to thinking about it, and he, he talked about how that men have a scoreboard. They get up in the morning, get ready for work, and they give themselves like 10,000 points, you know, like, yeah, I'm ready. And, you know, but you get up in your wife's scoreboard, you get up and go to work. She goes, that's a good thing. She gives you one point. <laughs> and so uh, what a lot of problems happen, by the end of the day, she's been counting one point at a time, and you've been giving yourself tens and thousands of points. End of the day, come together, you're trying to let her catch up, and she doesn't see it that way, you know? What I think, it, I, I kind of, uh, we talked about it a little bit this weekend. I think it's kind of like this. I think women are playing volleyball and guys are playing football. I think she's spiking and getting a point and you're getting a touchdown and giving yourself six points and you're just playing a different game with a different scoreboard, different set of rules all the time trying to communicate with each other. And, and so when we talk about being considerate with each other, a lot of times we try and force our partner to play our game when they don't even know our rules, Okay. And so we, we need to be kind to each other. Stop trying to push your partner and expect things from your partner that, that really aren't fair. What, I mean, if you just had the wisdom to say, hey, we're playing a, a different game here. We have a different scoreboard. It could really save you a whole lot of, of arguments and, or discussions or whatever you want to call those, okay? Also, the one thing, we, and we've already talked about it before, and we're probably going to talk about it again, is those unspoken expectations. Uh, they, they drive you crazy and we all do it we all have expectations that we never even articulate to ourselves but then we punish our spouses or our partners because of those expectations and so I think it's really important to understand women speak the Egeriches in their book love and respect talk about how that women speak a language of love and men speak a language of respect and I think that's very helpful to realize that as a woman your job is to help your husband understand your language to help interpret that for him. And so what that might practically sound like, in our marriage, we, and we took this directly from love and respects, is there are times we'll say, she'll say to me, what you just said or what you just did, it did not feel very loving, okay? And, and then I'll flip that the same way. Well, I don't flip that because that would start a worse fight. But I, I will say back to her, if we have an issue that makes me feel disrespected, then I'll say that to her. What you just did in this setting, this scenario, makes me feel disrespected. If we could help each other learn each other's language, learn how to speak to each other, I think it really opens up uh, the relationship. And we made a vow to do that, to, have, to be kind to one another. That's right. We also made a vow to have fun in marriage. Woot, woot, woot. You know, it's great when you can do special things together, but do you know that you can do ordinary things in fun ways? And we need to make fun a big part of our life. We had fun when we were dating. We had fun in our early years trying to just spend time together and washing dishes. And, hey, we've learned something this week. If your dishwasher breaks, you spend more time together. I just <laughs> want to throw that in. Um, so we've been doing dishes together. Um, Dancing so in the kitchen. We dance yes, in our kitchen. So. Our kitchen was built for dancing. Um, so we are called to treat each other even better than, than God tells us to treat um, other people. We're to, we're to treat our spouse better. So let me ask you this. Are you married to a good-willed person? Yeah. Is he or she a, generally a good person? And if they're not, why would you marry them? That's what I want. Michael <laughs> always says, you picked them. That's right. That does not go <laughs> but, over well in the counseling session. <laughs> well, you picked so, them. So we, but um, 
Our priority list, again, is love God and love others, and that others includes your spouse. And all those passages in the Bible that talk about loving your neighbor, well, who's your closest neighbor than your spouse? And um, it's not right to have a heart that is forgiving toward your friends, but you won't forgive your spouse, or to be compassionate and caring toward your coworkers, but you don't show that same compassion and caring to your spouse. Anything that you will do for somebody else that you don't extend to your, to your own spouse is just wrong. We also need to hit real quick under, as we're talking about what God expects of us and how God sees our marriage, is, is, a, is marriage is a sacrament in a sense. Not, not literally, obviously it's not that literally, but it is to be approached in that way. Because Jesus said this through Paul in Ephesians, he says this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration, speaking of marriage, of the way Christ and the church are one. So to put that in practical terms, think of, it, think of it this way. When you approach baptism, you should approach baptism with enthusiasm and commitment. When you approach communion or the Lord's Supper, you should approach that with reverence and respect. Those are the same character qualities that we need to approach our marriage with, with, with enthusiasm and commitment, with reverence and respect. Because all in all, we are trying to live out the gospel through our marriages, and that's really important for us to understand. Our marriage is larger than you. It's larger than you, and so keep that in mind. So we want to move down to a practical piece. So we kind of laid a, a, another biblical foundation for where God is in your marriage. And to me, the most frightening part of that is the fact that he attended the wedding. Sometimes we don't realize that, but he did attend your wedding. So what, now we want, as we move into the practical piece, we want to talk about moments and how that we can make moments in our marriage, how we can pour into our marriage. This is built on two other sermons, guys. So that first sermon, um, we talked, we laid a foundation for marriage, and I forgot what we, we did with that forever. Yeah, that was a really good sermon. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. Last week we talked about time. Oh, first sermon we talked about the commitment your marriage is built on. This last week we talked about making the time for it. Today, talking about making that time work, making it really something that pours in and not just wasted time, you know, what have you. And so God knows about our marriage, and he knows how we should invest in it. So how do we invest in it? And so we say that marriages need moments. Now, what do we mean by moments? So if you took, it, if you took the word moment back to its Latin roots, it just means a point in time. However, that same word that means a point in time in Latin is also the word from which we get our word momentum. And in finding the word momentum, we find out that uh, a point in time is a point in time that makes a difference. It's a point in time, literally, that turns the scales. Now, you may remember this quote. I heard it on the movie Hitch, and Will Smith's character said it. But it was actually uh, a quote of a dance instructor. She said this, Life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. So it's a beautiful quote. Love it very much. What if your marriage was made up of moments? Moments that make a difference. Moments that tip the scales in your relationship in a better way. That's what we're after. How do we make those moments in our life? And, and what do those moments look like? So how do we make a meaningful moment? It's easier to find meaningful moments in larger quantities of time. We said this last week, there's just no substitute for spending large amounts of time together. 
Um, it's easier to find moments in regular intervals of time. Now this might be a, a regularly scheduled date time or something that just uh, a regular time that you have together that just kind of comes out of the rhythms of your life. So um, one of our regular intervals of time, we didn't schedule it or plan it, but we on Friday mornings, Friday's Michael's day off, and uh, most days we're up and, and having our quiet times and getting breakfast for the kids and all that and we pray together and he goes down to his office but on Friday mornings um, he stays upstairs and we just start talking and uh, we have uh, found ourselves um, at lunchtime and we're still just kind of dancing around the, the kitchen island and we've just been in conversation and, and just hanging out all morning and uh, we don't do it all morning every time but um, we do if we have found that if we miss if one of us has to be out of town and we miss our Friday morning together we feel it we feel like we've just kind of missed each other this week and um, another th way to find meaningful moments is in intentional focus and that again could be a regular date night um, it could be a retreat it could be attending counseling together, a support group. Um, it could even be a personal growth event. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but as you go through marriage, a lot of times there's a, an old wound that is uncovered that you realize uh, that's never been healed and I haven't really dealt with that. And one of the best things you can do for your marriage is when those things come up, you take the time to address that and invite God into that place and let him heal your heart. So, so that is a great way to invest in your marriage. So um, moments, what do they look like? There's a couple of ways, and again, we learned this from the Egrich's book, Love and Respect. Um, for me, most of the time, my moments need to be face-to-face. -face. I want to look in Michael's face, look in his eyes, read his body language. If he turns away from me, I think he doesn't care about what I'm saying or, or um, things like that. Sometimes the biggest arguments are over, well, you're not listening and you don't really care what I have to say. Um, so I need... And I think we all do. I, I mostly, and I think maybe women, tend to need that face-to-face -face time more. Um, and the, the other thing is side-by-side -side time. Now, Michael is really good with us just spending time side-by-side, -side, going for a walk, going for a drive, even sitting through a movie. I can't talk through movies. That bothers me, but um, it's good for him. So, but just piddling, just working side by side. We started last year, we call, we're building a monkey habitat in our backyard for all of our monkeys. And, um, <laughs> our grand monkeys in Cayman. And uh, we started it last year. We worked on it quite a bit this summer and we had the best time. It was hot and it was hard work, but we loved it because we were doing it side by side and just have, having fun together. Um, when we lived in Colorado, our date nights were, uh, we drove 40 miles into town every time we had a date night. And that was a, a good mix of side by side time and face to face time. And I think we all need both of those. We need a good mix of the side by side and face to face and then uh, after you learn to make meaningful moments you need to learn to make them last yeah. to linger in the moments enjoy the moments we miss a lot of moments because of our self-imposed schedules right. right would you agree with that sometimes just saying this is nice draws attention to the moment you're in and helps That's you good. just stay there a little bit longer just linger and enjoy those moments don't rush through them and 
and just help each other to, to see them, to recognize them when they come. Another thing is to relive the moments. Now, I'm a picture taker. <laughs> Notice I said picture taker, not a photographer. Um, I take lots of pictures. We have a couple of photographers in our family now, but a couple of weeks ago when our whole family was together, those photographers that can make them look amazing, they didn't want to take pictures. I was still the one running around taking pictures. And I do that because I love to relive these moments. Right. And occasionally I'll bring up one of my old photo albums. You guys remember those? You just slipped every picture in the envelopes. And I'll just bring it up and leave it. You know, I usually go through it, look through it. And I'll just leave it laying around. And usually throughout the course of the week, everybody in our house will have picked that thing up and gone through it. And we will have lots of conversations. Remember this? Or I don't remember this. That's what Michael usually says. That's why I take pictures because he's going to need it when he gets it. older. Yeah, he can't right. remember. But um, so that's a way that you can relive those moments. Sometimes we do 80s music nights because we were in high school. We met and got married in the 80s. And that just kind of takes us back to our beginning. Right. And so that's another way to relive the moments. And the third way is to dream new ones. And uh, Michael's mentioned this a couple of times before, but we have learned that when we have a trip or something exciting coming up, we enjoy just planning and dreaming and anticipating that trip almost more than the trip itself because the planning and the dreaming lasts longer than the trip. Yeah. So that is a good way to make moments, uh, dream new ones together. So after we make the moments and make them last, um, then we, we need to make them deep. So something that was really hard for us to do as a couple, it, I mean, even as a minute, we were in ministry a long time before we were able, actually able to accomplish this, but we started praying together as a couple. And uh, from the beginning, two things happened. One, it, was, it never stopped being hard to do. I think the enemy just fought it. All, it still fights it. You know, tries to keep us from praying together. Two, I had no idea what I would learn about my wife through prayer. And, and how, what I realized about it was is that when we are in prayer, we're both talking to God. We're not talking to each other. Um, in an honest prayer, and I, let me make that qualifier. Um, if you start praying together and you use prayer as a way to try and get your spouse to do what you want them to do, that will not work out for you, okay? Um, but if you use prayer and, and, and it's about you getting close to God with your spouse, then that can be very helpful and healthy. So what happens, what I noticed was Christy would talk to God, and I'm, I'm listening, but I'm not listening to respond. I'm not listening to answer, and that's, that is incredibly powerful. And uh, so I would learn things about her through prayer that I don't think I would have learned any other way. And, and even from a daily basis, listening to her pray helps me know where she is for the day spiritually, where her heart is, helps me love her better. So I, praying together will really help make those moments deep. But I'm not going to lie, I think it's the hardest thing. Uh, it was for us in our marriage. But it will take you so far, so fast when you learn to pray together. Uh, the second thing is to, to actually listen to each other. Um, now, I know that men get a bad rap on listening, and all the guys just look at me like they're like, listen? Well, I don't even know what you're talking about, strange man. Um, but I, I, everybody struggles listening, okay? Yes, women are, are better at relations typically and relationships with other women, but in their relationship with their husband, I've witnessed that you guys, I love you, but you're not any better than we are at listening to your spouse, 
And so it takes work to do that. And, and you're listening for heart. You're listening for where someone is, what's happening in their life, trying to understand. Uh, I wish I could tell you a story that's a little bit too intimate, so I won't share it with you. But just shortly, just the, the, the shell of it was there was someone that I loved very much that we were talking, and they shared a story from their life that was pivotal, and, and they didn't even know it. They did not realize that the moment that they shared with me changed their life. And that was an eye-opener for me. And I've seen that many times in our marriage. It's, it's just the talking about nothing until something comes out. And then shazam. You have this whole new understanding of the person that you love. We've been married 31 years and it still happens pretty frequently. So if you're, th- if you're like, because I remember when we were married 10 years, we were like, yeah, we got this figured out. There are things I need to tell you guys about, I'm just saying, but we don't have time today. But, so pray with each other, listen to each other, really listen, and then reflect. Think, think, think about each other. One of the, the things that the enemy has done so well in our world is he has robbed us of the ability to think deeply. And so we can never really reflect on anything because we're constantly being distracted. And guys, if you, do, if you keep letting the world do that to you, your smartphone do that to you, your Facebook do that to you, you are just going to be pushed along this life at the mercy of it. You have to take charge of it. But we already talked about that last week, so I won't go into it again, other than what I just said. But we need that time to deeply reflect on the person that we love. Christy mentioned the subject of wounds. And that is a lot of what your marriage is about, is helping each other heal from the wounds of life. Maybe even the wounds you inflicted upon each other. Okay? Wounds happen. They are, you cannot stop them. Okay? I've, I've always tried to be a good dad, but I have still given my sons a father wound. She's tried to be a good mom, but she is still, there's no way out of this life unbroken. Yes, go ahead. Uh, John Eldridge, who uh, he's with uh, Ransomed Heart Ministries. He's written, um, I can't remember the name, A Sacred Romance and a couple of books for men. He says that you don't get through this life with your heart intact because this world is not the environment our hearts were created for. So no matter what, we all have wounds. That's right. Thanks for sharing that. Pray, listen, reflect. And then connect with each other. Now, connection used to drive me a little crazy. I think I'm finally wrapping my head around it. Because we would, have, we would spend time talking, and Christy would say things like, well, I just don't feel like we're connecting. And I'd be like, what? What is this connecting thing? And she goes, well, we're just not doing it. And then, I would, then another time we would talk, and she goes, oh, I feel so connected to you. And I'm going, What's the difference? We did the same thing. Do you guys, and you guys, are you with, like me? And guys were like, it ought to be the same every time. There should be a system for everything. That's more efficient. And less fun. She's feisty. Tell them about connection, hon. <laughs> okay, so connection contains two very important and critical needs that we all have. The first is being known. It's more than information. It's comprehension. It's not just knowing done oh there we go it's not just knowing about a person but truly knowing them getting to know them it answers the question am i being understood um, the second valuable or the second critical need that we have is being valued one of our greatest fears in 
in opening up and allowing someone to see who we really are is that fear of rejection, right? When we open up, they can either accept us or reject us. And uh, for women, our greatest fear, the greatest lie that we believe is, is the fear of being abandoned, right? And that we deserve to be abandoned. And so that makes us very afraid to open up. For men, uh, men's greatest fear is inadequacy. The thought, the, the lie that they believe that no matter what I give, say, do, or try, it's never going to be enough and I'm never going to be enough. So when we are able to open up and allow ourselves to be known and that other person accepts us, then that that meets that second need of being valued, being truly loved and cared about and honored. And so when we, when we do that, when we connect, it, it's, a, it's a very strong, deepening, uh, strengthening thing for our marriage. And our hearts are encouraged. We can be loved. We feel loved. And we grow in that environment. So we can make moments. We can make them deep. We can make them last. Um, one last word before we close is, is this. You might be here, and you might be one in a marriage of two that's ready to work on your marriage, and your partner's not there. Okay? We, we see that all the time. And um, so I want to encourage you to be the one who pours in in the beginning. Just, just start pouring in. Start loving your partner. You know, I, I, the most obvious thing, and I know it to some of you, if you haven't used prayer a lot, this may sound like a church answer, but once you've seen what prayer can do, then you realize it's the most practical and powerful thing on earth. But first thing, just start praying for your marriage and your partner. And if I, one, one caveat to that, pray for God to, to get close to and relate to your partner. Don't pray your will on your partner. That is not going to work out for you, okay? And that's where a lot of times we give up on prayer because we're trying to make God do what we want him to do, and he's God, not you, okay? It works differently. So start just praying. Whatever God's will is, whatever gets them close to God, that's the kind of prayers that need to go up. And then just start loving them or respecting them. Love and respect, they're the same it's the same speech, it's just two different languages of the words. And so learning to give them what they need. And you'll be surprised how people respond to those kinds of things. And, and I mean, you, you start giving your wife love, she, she will respond. Now, sometimes it's immediate, sometimes it takes a while. Same with your husband. You give him respect, he will respond. And so you can start, you can be the first one to start, is what I'm saying. Uh, you don't have to wait on your partner to have a better marriage. You can start pouring in, okay? I guess I should warn you, sometimes pouring in can create additional problems if you are in crisis. But that doesn't make it the wrong thing to do. Sometimes the best thing to do is the thing that's going to be the most inconvenient and troublesome at first. And so start pouring in. How we'd like to close this message is uh, as I'd like to pray for you. So if you bow your heads with me, and um, we are going to have people available to pray with you at the end of the service, and Chris and I are going to be at the back door when you go out. If you need an appointment to talk to someone this week, we can set appointments back there. We have someone helping us with that. But with your heads bowed and your eyes are closed and nobody looking around, I haven't done this in a long time, but I, I feel like I need to do it today. If, if you, I'm going to pray for every marriage in the room. But 
If, you, if you're needing God to just touch your marriage right now, would you just kind of give me a signal? Wave, just stick your hand up just for a second. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Okay, I see those. All right, let's pray. Anybody else? Father, we're all so broken. And sometimes it is our marriage that helps us see our brokenness more clearly. And Lord, in this room are these, we are, all these marriages that we stood before the person that we loved with all of our heart and we vowed our life to them. And we meant it. But Lord, life happens. Marriage happens. We, we struggle and we stumble and we're trying to make a living and trying to raise children. And Lord, often we wake up and we are not that couple staring at each other's eyes saying, I do. We are enemies with each other. And that is what our enemy, Satan, wants for us. He wants us to live under a spirit of divorce until we actually just divorce. But Lord, he came to the wrong place today. Spirit of divorce, I bind you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Get out of these marriages. Spirit of love and of Holy Spirit and of God, we release kingdom in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, any spouse that's represented in this room, that's heart is hard and is not turned toward each other, I pray that today you would soften and restore. I pray for every marriage, and there were some hands that went up, some hearts that are breaking, and they need strength. And I pray that you give them strength, that you, right now they'd be infused from kingdom, the kingdom of God, with the strength to love their spouse. And I pray that you would turn things around, that there would be passion in marriages, that there would be fun, that there would be joy and real connection and being known I pray against the spirit of eggshells <laughs> where we're afraid to say anything to each other because we don't want to disturb the peace. But Lord, that there would be a spirit of assertiveness and hope that would know that I married a person who's a generally good-willed person and that God's strength in this marriage can heal these problems. I pray for healing in marriages today and a binding of the spirit of divorce in our community. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Let's stand together as the worship team comes. Should have given them a heads up.